Room non room. Peter Merkley, Adelia House, Weishasse, by Florian Bagel and Philip Christou. Um, so the intro to this essay, uh, it's in Quadrans in 2013. Um, so Florian Bagel and Philip Christou have worked in partnership at the Architecture Research Unit in London since 1985, combining architectural practice, research and teaching. In this essay, they focus on the concept of the central room and its importance taking uh, as leitmotif a work by Swiss uh, architect Peter Merkley. Bagel and Christo describe in Room non Room the small private house that Merkley recently finished in Switzerland, taking us in a trip through Merkley's previous projects and the influence behind this atelier house. So it opens with a quote from Robert Smithson. At one point, evidently, they decided to build some floors and decided that the, that wasn't a very good idea, so they demolished them. But they left this kind of spiky, irregular, cantilevered effect coming off the, inside, the side of the wall. It sort of suggests Piranesi. You can see that instead of just tearing it all down at once, they tear it down partially, so you're not deprived of the complete wreckage situation. It's not often that you see buildings being both ripped down and built up at the same time. You get this kind of really sensuous sense of something extending both in and out of time, something that doesn't belong to the earth and really something that is rooted very much in the earth. Peter Merkley has designed a small private house in the Swiss countryside near Bern. Construction was completed and the owners moved in in just a few weeks before we visited the house with Peter in early May 2013. It is primarily a one-room house with a few subsidiary side rooms adjoining this main room. The house is extremely simple in every way. It has a single pitched roof that follows the slope of the site at an angle not quite as steep as the ground outside. About two thirds of the area of the ground floor is dug into the slope of the site so that the outer edge of the floor is approximately one metre above the ground. When you arrive at the house, you descend a shallow ramp towards the end facade where there's an open loggia for a car with a large double door that can be opened into the house. The entrance point of the house is at the end of a long living space that seems to extend the entire length of the building. A corner window opens onto the landscape in front of you and a series of large windows that reach the floor are arranged along the length with views towards the valley. As you walk into this living space with its wonderful collection of modern kitchen equipment and unique tables and chairs from all different eras, the room opens to the left into a large hall space. The ceiling slopes up to the left and there is a sizable room full of assorted musical instruments. This is a working studio for two musicians, a large atelier practice and performance room with a substantial opening to the living space. It would be possible to build a series of doors to separate the atelier from the living space, but these have not been built yet and it seems that they will not be necessary. 
At first glance, there seems to be nothing particularly unusual about this large main room. In the typical and well-known arrangement of an open-plan living space of a modern house, one often finds a large main space used for living and dining, and there's frequently a kitchen within the same space somewhere on the edge of the main room. This is not, however, an open-plan house. It is a house of rooms that have an open spatial connection between them. We have sometimes called this a plan of rooms without corridors. One also finds such large hall-like rooms in numerous vernacular farmhouses in many parts of the world and is reminded of the atrium houses found in Mediterranean cultures that were common in ancient Egyptian, Greek and Roman times. The little farmhouses in Ibiza and Mallorca that were measured, drawn and photographed by architect Walter Segal and the artist Raoul Hausmann in the 1930s are very similar in spirit. The largest internal room of the house is like a multi-use courtyard, often with a slightly irregular shape, surrounding, surrounded by other subsidiary small rooms with more specific functions. The medieval timber-framed hall houses in England also come to mind. In this case, there was a large open fire pit on the earth floor of the hall, used for cooking and heating, and the smoke rose up through the roof without the aid of ch a chimney. The hall was like a large covered courtyard, with big window openings giving a so strong sense of exteriority. The smaller rooms for sleeping were at either end of the hall, and there was often a small stable on the ground floor for sheltering animals. So he's talking about the Bayleaf uh, Wilden House in Kent. Uh, Markley has been refining this type of domestic room plan for many years, both with his students at ETH in Zurich, designing contemporary apartment buildings and interiors, and in his many houses and apartment building design projects. He is finding ways of maintaining open and fluid spatial connections between rooms and at the same time giving each room a clearly defined sense of enclosure and spatial presence. When designing large office interiors, for example, at the Novartis Visitor Centre in Basel or the more recent 168 metre long office and workshop building in Solitum near Bern, Switzerland, He's found ways of giving spatial division and enclosure to the large office floor plates while retaining the open plan that the clients seem to want. In his recent domestic apartment designs, this has become extremely articulate and specific to a contemporary way of living to which the architect is highly sensitive. In the apartment building at Gutstrasse Zurich, each of the plan types has a large central room with an irregular shape, connected at the corners or slightly indirectly to bedrooms that surround the main room. In the apartment type with the four rooms situated at both ends of the long building on the upper floor levels, one can see this most clearly. The main living room with the kitchen at one end makes an irregular L-shaped room, with a large loggia facing southwest and a smaller loggia next to the kitchen. 
one can imagine a diversity of ways of furnishing and inhabiting this open plan of rooms. The most wonderful aspect of a, the Atelier House Waisasha, uh, designed by Mackley, is that the large main living and atelier space is so open-ended and full of ease functionally, spatially and materially. It feels very much like a working hall. The large doors that connect the atelier room with the car loggia at the entrance could allow a large farm vehicle to be driven directly into the house. One can imagine the atelier, atelier uh, being used as a barn, a car repair workshop, or as a small factory um, for making furniture, for example. One is reminded of the powerful and evocative photograph of the large interior hall of a farmhouse near Palmer that Aldo Rossi published in a scientific autobiography. Here too, the ceiling is high and the irregular shaped room is flooded with light from one side. A large table stands out in the vast room as though in the middle of a public square and the doors to the smaller rooms to the sides are like front doors to houses on a street. So that house is on page 79 of Rossi's book. The materialization of the Atelier house uh, on the interior and exterior is a loose montage of a number of readily available building materials. Fair-faced, in-situ concrete painted white in some places, terracotta blocks normally used for internal partition walls painted white above a datum line approximately one metre from the floor and unpainted below. Foam glass insulation panels with several coats of black paint and a sloping ceiling made with cross-laminated timber sheets painted white and a cement screed floor. It feels like the house could easily be altered tomorrow without any loss of character. This is a loose and relaxed construction that looks effortless. On closer inspection, it is extremely thoughtful and precise. One has the impression that this house is either still under construction or partially in the process of demolition. The house is situated amongst a scattered settlement of about five or six houses, halfway up the south-facing slope of a large valley. The long wall along one side of the living space, which faces southwest towards the valley and the farmland below, has a series of timber-framed glass doors that stand on the floor and do not reach the sloping ceiling. This orients the house towards the magnificent view out across the landscape. These glazed openings do not, however, extend across the entire length of the house. There are walls extending from floor to ceiling at either end of the house and two sections of walls, uneven in width and also floor to ceiling, standing between the windows along this southwest facade. The glazed openings that provide views to the landscape are not aligned with the house's main hall-like atelier space and they are not openings into a solid wall. They seem to slide effortlessly past the fireplace and into the corner bedroom, making it very much continuous with the main living space of the house.
Above these openings, the wall is constructed in laminated timber panels like the sloping surface of the ceiling. In this way, one can see that the house is primarily a sloping timber roof plane supported by a few masonry wall segments. On the exterior, the wall segments are constructed in fair-faced in-situ concrete in a form that looks like large rectangular stone blocks stacked on top of each other with irregular sides. That will be keyed into another masonry wall in the future. One can imagine this house as a stunningly beautiful ruin in 200 years time with these concrete piers standing alone, weathered and covered in moss and lichens surrounded with lush vegetation. The house has a prehistoric feeling about it and at the same time is very much part of the present. From a distance, the timber frame windows between the concrete piers look like a temporary formwork, unpainted and provisional. On the inside, the wall segments have a layer of insulation and a layer of basic and inexpensive terracotta building blocks. Where they are painted, the rough mortar joints have been intentionally left unpainted, giving the effect of a delicate tracery of rough pencil lines on a wall surface. surface. This is a wonderfully sophisticated roughness. It is not a form of brutalism. It is what American artist Robert Smithson would probably call a dialectical landscape.